<clears throat> Are we back? Ready? So this is this is it, right? Episode two, the conclusion. Yes. So welcome to the Money Pot Stronghold episode two. This is where I'm going to warn listeners that if they haven't listened to episode one from last week, it might be a really good time to go do that before you get too far down the road with this episode. But time is a valuable commodity. So let's do a quick run through our main characters. First, Bill Spence. How are you? Bill Spence is the CEO and founder of Stronghold, a power plant he founded specifically to clean up cancer-causing toxic chemicals that also happened to kill his father. But wait, Bill has the same cancer now himself. And that's not it. He has assembled a crack team. He has R.J. Schaefer and Jeff Campbell, his genius plant manager. Jeff is a a brains of the outfit. And Julie, his assistant, Jane of all trades, his brother, and a whole bunch of other people. Right. They got this power plant up and running thanks in part due to incentives from Pennsylvania. But they were running on razor-thin margins. And then the pandemic hit. Demand dropped dramatically. They didn't have customers. So they realized that they would need to find or create a second customer. And that's where I think I had the realization of what they are about to do based on your leading the witness and heavy implications that this all ties to cryptocurrency, Rachel. Let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's just reset the scene at the end of the last episode. Bill, who's fighting cancer at the moment, called an emergency meeting in his own kitchen to determine what the next move would be how they were going to save Stronghold, the power plant. You know, Bill asked me if I knew what a Bitcoin was. And I said, you know, I've heard of it. I hear, actually hear it a lot in the news. And uh, in true fashion, I think I talked to Jeff about it. And I'm like, Jeff, do you know what a Bitcoin is? He's like, yeah, I know what Bitcoin is. And his eyes lit up. <laughs> so I started doing the research on it. And pretty quickly said, oh my goodness, the Bitcoin is really a a global currency that's based on power pricing. So it's perfect for a power plant. But nobody in the power world had had even a concept of what it is, because power plant people are not early adopters. They are the most conservative people in the world, and they don't want to even think about something until someone else has already done it. So we're like, hey, this is great. We're in an industry where people don't like new technology. We've got Bill who loves new technology, so we're the first people in this area. That's what kicked the whole thing off, and, and the challenge, at least for me, was don't tell anybody about this because you know power plants don't like anything new until somebody else has figured out how to do it, and then they'd love to take it from you. So, Zach, was that what you were thinking? I mean, I'm not that quick, so it took me a while to put all the pieces together. But once you led this horse to water, it made perfect sense. And I find it fascinating that Jeff said about Bitcoin being a currency based on power pricing. You know, 
cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular are so often presented as this source of currency that just comes from nowhere out of the ether, uh, Ethereum jokes. Anyway, we persevere. It exists in the digital realm and that's it. But it's important to remember that Bitcoin mining separate from Bitcoin, is a transfer. You're transferring power, energy, into Bitcoins, right? Yes, exactly. And when you're sitting on top of a source of power without demand, the answer seems so obvious. So now you're always paid to make power. And if the grid says you're too expensive, your second customer says, well, I still want you to be reliable. And the grid actually benefits from that. So the Bitcoin people are the ones that are putting the money into making the power plant reliable for the times that the grid needs it. And the, and the consumers aren't paying for that. That's an ingenious proposition. And on the surface, it seems pretty simple. But this wasn't just a case of plugging a processing unit into a power outlet in the plant, right? Right. I mean, that's what the focus of this episode is going to be. We've solved the cliffhanger. But we just don't know how. And let me tell you, it gets pretty nerdy. <laughs> pretty nerdy is right in my wheelhouse, so I'm ready to sit back and take in all this nerdy glory. Okay, so, as Jeff said, he was doing his research online, and once he has a good understanding of what was needed, he got the green light from Bill and purchased a bunch of Bitcoin miners. We had another kitchen table meeting, and Jeff bought a... Bitcoin miner on eBay and we had the miner and I had never seen a Bitcoin mining machine before in my life. I don't even know what I conceptualized or visualized relative to it. And we're like, what in the hell is this? Oh yeah, like it didn't it doesn't look like look like a computer. It doesn't look like anything any of us had ever seen, but I'm like, this is what a Bitcoin miner looks like. I love the idea of just committing to solving the problem and just going, just burning the boats, going all the way in. It reminds me of being a kid and being able to just tinker with stuff, break things apart, maybe sometimes put them back together, but just just figure it out. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it was a time in all of our lives when we were really not doing much else. Yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling like I didn't make the most of the time I had during lockdown. These guys were building a whole Bitcoin mining facility while I was taking care of sourdough starter and watering my succulents. Yeah, <laughs> I think Bill and his team were the exception here. I mean, there was a lot of sourdough being made at that time. You weren't the only one. But it really was a fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants moment for this whole team. They really were working it out as they went along. One thing they didn't take into consideration was one of the byproducts of that transfer of energy that we spoke about earlier. Okay, so energy doesn't disappear. It transfers, and specifically, energy would, in this situation, would transfer into heat, yeah, right? you got it. It's hot. So you would hear it everywhere, and then it reduced our heating bills because they're so hot, so we put it in places that were cold because it would give us heat. We started to do it, and then we realized you had to put them in some kind of container. So while the heat was beneficial initially, as soon as they began processing even more, and as the winter turned to summer, that benefit quickly became extremely impractical. I know that feeling. If I'm editing a video on my computer on a hot day, I'm practically burning my laptop and have third degree burns on my lap. So times that by several hundred and you have a lot of very hot laps. So as Bill mentioned, 
they began searching for a place to put the miners. Actually, I know you can buy prefabricated mining trailers, which are air-conditioned and secure and have built-in backup power, actually. Yes, you, you can buy those. And they have quickly become high demand as mining on a large scale has grown in popularity. However, remember, we are currently in 2020. And as a result of the global pandemic, the supply chain is incredibly disrupted. Not only delaying any deliveries, but causing prices to increase dramatically. So like almost every part of this journey, Bill and his team came up with an ingenious plan to make one themselves. I said, don't buy any. I said, forget. Let's build it ourselves. And so we figured out and built, we'll show you a very first miner. We bought a recycled shipping container. We used old scrap coal conveyor belt that we had laying around the plant and chain link fence over here at the data center. All the electrical stuff inside of it, Jeff got found on eBay and sourced. <laughs> it was awesome. And they did take me to the containers. And I don't think you can overemphasize just how cobbled together they are. I mean, they are a set of shipping containers with holes welded out of the side of them and chicken wire covering the holes. As someone that likes and respects startups, this sounds awesome to me just to say that but also it sounds like it was a hell of a lot cheaper than prefabricated containers oh a hell of a lot and it worked i mean actually everything was working both the technical infrastructure and the whole idea in the early to mid stages of the pandemic this mining farm was doing the job that they needed it to do it was bringing in the money to keep their lives and the plant going And gradually, as life in the United States began to return to something resembling normalcy, that balance, the positioning of energy output and crypto mining, settled into a rhythm. And their proof case for how this could work in the real world was a success. Of course, Bill being Bill, I mean, he wasn't ready to stay still. He was already thinking of other applications for his setup. Now that we know how to do this data center and do it, it could be anything. You know, we've talked to people in the medical community. You know, when I was in ICU and I was dying and then I lived, I used to make a joke, like, why did I make it? You know, when so many people who weren't even as sick as me or they were younger than me, they died. And, you know, I used to wonder and I used to make, I think I've even maybe said to you guys, I think maybe I'm going to cure cancer. But I meant it jokingly, but we've been talking to some universities and some healthcare systems about providing them power in our data center and other areas. You know, we're always looking for what we can do because technology needs power. You know, that is the thing. You know, you're not going to have technologic development if you don't have available power to do it. That's so damn cool and so damn inspiring. I feel like we're close to coming to some sort of a conclusion here. I have been on an emotional roller coaster. So I feel like I hope we're coming to a conclusion. This story's wild. But before we do, I mean, one, I just want to say thank you, Rachel, for asking me to come and record this episode with you. I've learned a ton. These stories are remarkable, and they're the kind of thing that just gets you out of bed in the morning, gives you motivation, inspires you. I mean, it's amazing. 
But I got to say, I do have one question after doing these two episodes with you and learning all this. Kind of afraid to ask it. Is Bill okay? Oh, Bill's fine. He is in total remission, firstly. And secondly, to your other point, that's exactly what Bill and Jeff and RJ and Julie and the whole team at Stronghold are hoping to do. They know that their setup is scrambled together and a little ramshackled, but they also know that none of this innovation was going to come from the established major players in the energy space. They needed to lay the groundwork, and they are hoping that others will use them as the blueprint for a successful model moving forward. I mean, to be arrogant, that's the way this is supposed to be. Well, the power guys haven't gotten involved in the crypto market yet because they're conservative. And nobody realized the, the, the overlap between crypto and power wasn't there. There weren't power people saying, hey, you know, what I really need to do is find some place to dump power for a few hours to a day or so until this all came through. And then we were just like, this is what we've been looking for. This, this, this overlap should exist, but no one in the power market knows that crypto is there. And no one in the crypto market understands how a power plant works. So I think the way this should play out in my world is 10 years from now, when people say, what's crypto? You say, oh, that's what the power plants do when you don't need to produce power in the off-peak period. And that off-peak period rolls around the world. So there's never a one point where everybody in the world doesn't need power. You have an embedded finance system with the grid. There's a symbiotic relationship. It's one of those ideas that just makes so much sense. It just needed the right group of maybe slightly crazy and out there and fascinating and fun people with the right skill set, with the right amount of time to connect the dots. Exactly. And before we wrap up, I mean, I think it's worth us expanding the microscope a little bit. Remember where we started? Bill's mission to clean up the environment around his hometown? His hope that nobody else would ever have to suffer as a result of the toxic waste getting into the water supply in the way that his father and eventually he himself did. With the mining in operation, that goal is very quickly becoming a reality. And then you tie in all the environmental benefits that this a project like this has to offer. And like for me, it was perfect. It was like... I was meant to be here. I looked at it that way all along. I was meant to work here. This was what, what I was supposed to do. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is meant to be. You just got to work hard and, and you know, be determined. And, and here we are today. And I look out here, Jeff looks out here every day, because this wasn't all here last year. What we've accomplished is, is extremely satisfying. We really are almost at time now, but it's worth pointing out a couple of things before we go. When we were writing this story, we wanted to make clear that despite our enthusiasm for this and many other projects like this, we know this isn't a perfect solution. The criticisms that mining is a heavy polluter can still be applied somewhat in this case. And while one of the main outputs from the power station is this ash, which is used as a fertilizer, there's also some carbon dioxide produced. Right. But what this story does show us is that crypto mining, when applied to certain situations, can solve many major problems. In simple terms, this is just a story of a guy who mines Bitcoin. 
But in reality, this introduces a lot of ideas and questions about the nature of crypto, where its value comes from, and what that even means. When Einstein deduced the equation of E equals MC squared, he was saying that matter and energy are different forms of the same thing. We are saying that energy and digital value are different forms of the same thing. In that way, we are making something digital have physical value, or at least turning something physical into a digital value. When Jeff looked at Bitcoin from the point of view of an energy producer, he immediately recognized it as one and the same. This means that crypto could go from a giant energy suck to a giant energy positive that allows produced energy to retain value, be exchanged in a number of ways, evening out energy production, creating backstores of energy, and on and on and on. It also means that this could be employed by small energy producers worldwide, could follow the sun, increasing the nature of green energy usage. It can flip the environmental narrative on crypto and data storage. And I'm fascinated with what will come next for Bill and his team as they try to find some of those alternate situations that this can be applied to. The world is their technological Bitcoin oyster. Are you are you laying us up for episode three? I didn't think so. I didn't, apparently, maybe. (laughs) It feels unfinished, you know? If it happens, (laughs) just promise you'll invite me back on that episode with you. Consider this a standing invitation. We want to give a huge thank you to Everyone from Stronghold who we spoke to for this episode. Bill Spence, RJ Schaefer, Julie Brighton-Bach, Jeff Campbell, and Craig Spence. Yes, and we would love to hear from you, the listener, about what you thought about this double episode. So please do reach out to Rachel and I, not at our personal emails, we love you, but not quite there, at podcast at money2020.com. You can also send us your ideas for topics we can cover, especially if you have a story like this one. And thank you so much for joining us, Zach. Thanks to our podcast producer, Roland Bottenham. This is our swan song with Roland. I will be missing my fellow producer and compatriot so much. When we sounded good or creative or like we understood what we were doing, it was because of Roland. And I hope this won't be the last time that we get to collaborate. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a nice review and a five-star rating wherever you listen to this show. We will be back soon. And thank you for listening. 